Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight, I think we have a ex- very interesting program. Baruch Hashem, we, we hopefully everybody enjoyed a wonderful Pesach. And obviously, uh, it wasn't like last year. You have to think back at uh, all that has taken place in the course of this year and how much we have to be thankful for the pace that we just had this, this, uh, this past week. Um, it's not to be understood completely what happened to us, what was the plan in Shemayim, but we know that Hashem at least has made it a little bit easier for us now, and hopefully the good thoughts and good wishes and the good ideas that we had and we took on and changed ourselves in some way, Hopefully they will stay and they will continue to help us in the future. In any event, let's report a little bit on some of the issues that occurred on Pesach. We're not going to go through any products that were mis- mislabeled. There weren't so many. It wasn't such a major problem this year. But there was a problem. I don't know if it was a perception on my part or it's a fact. Meaning that, um, you know, how it works with uh, police, so they... They have a certain amount of uh, uh, cases of this kind of a nature this year, and they're comparing it to last year. And they always have the question is, is more being reported? And it's really not more crime, but more is being reported. And that's the question that you have to have regarding Pesach as well. Um, is it changed from year to year, or is it actually the same or better than it was in the past? but that you're hearing more and more stories because of the communication lines, etc. Uh, this I cannot tell you. But what was interesting to me personally was that uh, in a number of cases, there were products that were put in the Pesach section that were not Pesach. And how they got there is the interesting thing. You know, in a supermarket, the, there, is a, there are more than one way that something gets to the shelf. There basically are three ways that people, something gets to the shelf. One way is that uh, the store personnel put it out on the shelf. So if there's a mix-up of non-Pesach uh, products being sold together with Pesach products on the same aisle in the kosher pay for Passover section, so that's a problem that the supermarket has, and they're guilty, and it's quality of their, uh, their quality control uh, how, how well they're managed, how well their staff is trained, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and how much is check over after it? Because the staff is only own people, and you need the, the people in charge to check over after the workers. That's one standard issue about how well they put out the product. And the other common problem, which everybody knows about, is called back shopping, where you go to buy something and then you decide, no, I don't want it, and you put it back. It could even happen from the, the personnel, could, uh, the store personnel could also put it back if they found a, a, a wagon that somebody abandoned and decided not to buy because too much money or they, you know, they, whatever it was, they decide just to walk away and leave the stuff in the, in the, in the basket. And now the, one, of the sh- one of the supermarket personnel has to walk around putting things back. That's called back shopping. You do it or he does it. And in that case, it's very common 
for things that are not kosher to end up with kosher, things that are not kosher Pesach to end up with kosher Pesach. It's a common problem. Uh, it's more dramatic when it's the store owners doing it because if he, if he puts it out, he'll put out not one thing, but he'll put out uh, 10, uh, t- 10 packages of it, 100 packages of whatever it is he's going to put out in the kosher Passover aisle that's not kosher Passover. That's going to be a big number and it'll be bought up and sold and out this door before they discover it. Uh, when you're doing back shopping, it's just usually one item or two items. How much do you put back? So it's not really as uh, it's common. Or it's very, it's very, very common. Even trafe and kosher is very, very common situation. Extremely common, but it's limited. And uh, whatever it is, it's humanity. We can't worry about it. But this year, I saw something else. I saw two really two other ways that things got messed up. One basically uh, ties into the other, but this was a little unique. You see, when when you go into a supermarket and you, and you stand there for a little while, you'll see somebody working, uh, putting things into the shelves. And you go over to Miss and excuse me, where can I find coffee? Uh, what, what aisle is coffee? And he says, Mr., I don't know anything about coffee. I work for Coke, and I have to put my Coke in here. And that's his job to actually put it on the shelves. Now, why do they pay the man to do that when they could just drop it off in the back and let the store do, personnel do it? Because Coke and Pepsi and these people, they want to make sure that they get their product in the right place because it sells better. So, uh, and, and, they want to, and, they, and they, they want to push the envelope. They want to get a little further. And they find that when their men put the stuff in, it looks better. It's in the right place. They get more space. They get more product out there because it's also a question of how much you put out of product. So you want to get the maximum size, maximum space, the the best height should be should closest to the eyes because that's what people grab fast before they, they look down on the bottom or look on the top. They, they usually what eye, eye level is the best, and then they'll also how much they could put in because the, they might limit them. You can only put in twenty items, you know, twenty packages, and he wants to put in fifty because it'll sell more that way. And because until they will restock it, they, you, you might you might lose some customers. So all of this is cheshpen out. And that's why they have these people working, and they make it look nicer. Whatever it is, that's their job. So what happened this time is that in several places, it, they had um, a, 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 a worker for the company that sells the product, that makes kosher Pesach and all year round non-kosher Pesach. And he was putting the product in, and he put in the the non-Pesach items together with the Pesach items. Meaning that the company makes a Pesach and a non-Pesach. Um, this case was a cleanser, and then something else would be something else, and they, you know, he, and they look pretty much the same. Of course, one says kosher Pesach, one doesn't say kosher Pesach. I mean, we even say for all year round, not Passover. Whatever it says on the packaging. But still in all, uh, the uh, the the, the anybody should know that that's not kosher Pesach. Now, even if your driver isn't Jewish, he should know it. He should be trained. And uh, the chances are, usually these drivers, I mean, I mean at least some of for Hamish, a company, very often the drivers are from Jew. And he should know. And this happened uh, in, in, in several places. And we're talking about 
putting out a lot of product. In one case, they had to call back the, 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 the company and tell them to take it off the shelves. Because um, they're not really supposed to bother with touching that stuff because it's, uh, they, that's company deal. with the, They have the company. The company puts it and takes it. Maybe they took it off the shelf. I don't know. Whatever it is, uh, this is a, uh, to me, it was a unique idea that, that the company would send, uh, has a man who, who put it in the wrong way. When you talk about a store owner, so he hires non-Jewish work, workers, and they may not be aware of m- much about kosher and sort of about Passover. And even, even if you try to explain it to them and you tell them to look for this and look for that, but still in all, they're, they're very human and they're, they're not paid very much. But the deliver guy, he's a little bit high up in the system, and very often he's Jewish and from, and it's a, it's a shame that, that, that this product got out that way. So I thought that was like, uh, it just was just happening in you know in uh, limited uh, uh, limited amount. And then I got an email from somebody out of the country that a similar thing was happening. That the company it was the same company. You understand? The company was sending out the wrong product, and it's called non-kosher for Pesach product was being sent out to fill the order for Pesach. So in other words, it was a bad delivery. So again, you one wonders when you're talking about a company that's a Hamish company, that's a distributor for, uh, for, for products that are Passover and non-Passover, that they would have better control on what goes out the door uh, for their orders. And uh, it, you know, it's not something that the, the store should be catching, or the, in this case, the hashkacha, the, the hashkacha on the store should be checking. It should be something that the the distributor or the producer should be careful on their own. And this was very, very sloppy this year. So what did I do? I contacted the Hashkocha. I contacted the Hashkocha in these cases, and I said they thanked me profusely for uh, sending him the, the emails, and uh, obviously he got on top of it. Um, and it's something that he that reflects bad on him, so even though it's not his issue per se, but it reflects bad on this company that he's certifying, and he wants to know what's going on here. So that is, uh, that's what happened behind the scenes. I don't know if you even heard about it, uh, but to me, that's a, an additional concern that we have to be worried about. Not just the store owner, and not just the back shopping, but that actually the company putting in the wrong product in the shelves. Interesting. Because that's why, in, in a, even in a kosher for Passover store, just all they have is kosher for Passover. You could be having non-kosher for Passover products in there because of this thing, much as I just told you. The workers didn't put it in. Somebody from the outside came in and put it in. Amazing. So therefore, they have to check. They have to check regularly. I'm in Lakewood. I don't know maybe the store. My wife does the shopping. I don't know the stores. And I, I, I help out sometimes with the unloading the, the, the boxes, the coming boxes. And in the bottom of the box is a little, <laughs> right before Pesach, in the bottom of the box is a little slip, about three by six, maybe a little bit bigger. And it says the responsibility is on the, on the consumer to check every product if it's kosher or Pesach. I thought that was amazing. 
I mean, you know, I see it in the store, you put a little sign up, everyone should check, blah, blah, blah. and you see the reasons, that are, the concerns that we have. And here, they put it in the box. In other words, don't put it away in your shelves until you're sure it's kosher lapesa. Very interesting. So here I have, I got a call. I mean, actually, it was an email from somebody that I know, and his, his friend had bought, had bought this thing, uh, I don't remember exactly what it was right now. I'm not going back and look at the email, but it was a, 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 a product, and on the top it says, not for Passover use. The size of the letters was very tiny, and that was the complaint that these people had because they put it in their house. And my feeling is they, they're completely wrong. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if it even doesn't say it. You don't put anything in your Pesach kitchen. You don't utilize anything that you haven't seen that is kosher Pesach. I don't have to make in giant letters not for Passover use. If you don't see the words kosher Pesach, kosher for Passover, such a thing, a P attached to one of the national ashkochas or one of the Hamish ashkochas, if you don't have any indication that it's kosher for Pesach, what are you using it for? It's not the, I don't believe that, that this is a question of size. Yes, sometimes the letters are too small and it is, now you can't see it. That would be, you could complain to me that they're making the kosher for Passover too small. But to say it's not, co- on a box that's not kosher for Passover was too small, where do you get the idea that it was kosher for Passover? That's the first thing you have to, you have to ask. It's your responsibility, and that's the beginning and the end of it, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Here's a, an interesting story. Uh, it shows, <laughs> at least the, it, it showed me that in addition to answering cautious questions, sometimes you have to wear a few different hats. And this is a story, it's a real story. Uh, it was just very interesting how it took place. Uh, a young lady called me up and she wanted to know whether a certain hashkocha is acceptable. Now, this, this is the sticky area because I know he's not. And I know exactly why he's not. And I know so much about him. And he's a lovely man. And, he, and he's definitely learned, a very learned gentleman. But, and he has excellent smicha. But I wouldn't trust him in the kashras, that's for sure. And there's reasons why, even though I like to talk to him, he's a nice person, but um, it, his kashras is not what you would want. You want a store that has a mashkiach, you want stores that are closed on Shabbos, you want stores that are owned by Jews, and his places are not owned by Jews, and they're open on Shabbos, and there's not a mashkiach, and he's doing things the way they were done in the 1950s and 1960s, and he has a lot of svarim that he uses to back it all up, but that's not what we do in kashras today. We're not living that way at all anymore. It's what I call retro kashras. It's going back to the back to the old days of kashras in America, and it's just not uh, it's not really an acceptable standard. I don't know anybody that would use his ashkocha. But here's what happened: this man gives ashkocha on a place in Brooklyn that that people for certain reasons want to go there. And it's a little upscale, and it's something that they're really interested in. And he, uh, his certification on it. So this young lady called me up, and it seems that she was going to meet a young man the first time, 
and they're going to this place. That's what the band said. That's what we should meet over there. So that's what they, uh, they said. Now, she's worried about the Hashkocha. She's a very uh, sincere young lady. She told me, I'm not Machben on Chal Yisrael. I said, it doesn't make a difference. That's not the point. The question is whether it's kosher. And, she's, and she asked me about this Hashkocha. And I said, well, you know, I tried very hard. I don't like to say anything negative about a particular individual. I'm saying now it's to you people without giving you any information who it is. I'm not going to give you any information who it is. But there is just to let you know there's such people out there in the world. But she's asking me about this place, and I have to answer her about the place. So I have to try to find a way of saying in a nice way what I've just been telling you. Oh, we, we do that. And, uh, and she says, you know, but this is where he's, he wants to take, to take me on the first time we meet. And uh, I don't know what to do. Um, see, she, and she said something which was very interesting to me. I don't know about these things because I don't go to these chat groups and I don't go. Any, I have no idea what, where she got her information. But she said on the web, she could, she got positive and negative about this rabbi. I don't know who put the positive in because I don't know anybody who uh, would would accept this this standard. So uh, obviously, there's somebody who is. But I don't know what you know who those people are and who these people are. I have no idea. In any event, she was confused and she contacted me. She wasn't able to get through to me. She called other people. Eventually, I called her back and and when I did, so I I shared with her a little bit about the gentleman and she got very worried now because what's she going to do? She's going to meet this young man, and it's going to be uh, at this place. So she starts talking about maybe I just got water but then I don't want to offend him. And we, we got into this whole discussion of how she could say something to the young man and, and how she could uh, uh, explain things if, if he asked her why she wouldn't take, a, take something more exciting over there, uh, why was she limiting herself, and uh, we got into that whole discussion. So in a certain sense, I sort of thought myself in a different capacity, giving some kind of uh, dating advice. Um, in, in any event, uh, eventually, you know, she, she made up in her mind that she'll just get water. I told her you could get a, a, uh, a tea or coffee unflavored in that place. I'm basing that on the fact that it's not openly non-kosher. I mean, the man is an Orthodox rabbi we're talking about. And, I, and even if we don't like his standards, I don't think they're bringing any chazer in there. They may be bringing in ingredients this way or that way, but I don't think we have to say that all the food in the, in the place is treif, and, then, and, that, and therefore all the kalim are treif, and therefore when they wash the, 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 the dishes together, that maybe something happens to the coffee machines. I don't have to go that far. This is a kosher restaurant. It's a, uh, in this particular case, a little, something a little different, not a regular restaurant, but this is a kosher f- a place, uh, dining area, and you, you, uh, you have to expect it on a certain level. It, it is kosher. Whether you eat it or not is something different, but to make it that you couldn't have a tea or a coffee, there wouldn't be a problem. Now, why do I say not flavored? Because I don't know what the flavored teas and the flavored coffees, then you need hashkocha. And I don't know, feel that there's enough hashkocha on this place to be able to, to, to that, that he's sitting in his uh, house and, 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 and very rarely coming to this place, relying on non-Jewish workers and non-Jewish, and they're asking questions. That it's not the same as a regular hashkocha, so I didn't feel that confidence in giving it, let her eat anything more exciting than that. But that was the whole discussion. And then... 
we had been on the phone for more than a few minutes. And so I finally I said to her, listen, if you marry the guy in the next three months, invite me. We both had chuckled, and she got off the phone. A few minutes later, she called me back. She said, spoke to him. Well, he spoke to her. I don't know, whatever it was. Something was not that long afterwards, and it seems that they decided to go someplace else. So this is, I mean, I wasn't trying to tell you this story. What I really wanted you to hear was the background, which is where you go, where you invite me, how does that communicate to me who you are and about this place? In other words, if I trust you, if you're a good guy and you're inviting me to such a place, to certain places, what, does that mean that this is a good place? You make your chasen at this hall, does, does that reflect on the hall? This is the question that I really wanted to discuss. And the answer is, of course, when you invite somebody to, to a, a restaurant, to a simcha, then you are saying that this is 100%. And it's a little bit tricky. Anybody who's sophisticated, you don't have to be a cautious expert, but a little sophisticated knows that there's all kinds of levels of cautious in a particular facility. Like I could have my own caterer come in. I remember one affair that it was in a place. I mean, it's more than one, but I mean, this. I remember this particular affair that was in a place that is not not acceptable to anybody that I know. And here I go, and I, so I thought, you know, with, with this compromise, maybe this compromise. I come in and I find out that the entire affair, they're not using the kitchen. They're using warmers uh, that they brought along from themselves. There's, there's, a, there's a gentleman, he's a rabbi actually, who's a caterer in Long Island, and he has a, he stores the, these little ovens in a big truck, that he rents, he doesn't really actually rent, he gets permission, he has a truck left on a, on a yeshiva, uh, in a yeshiva parking lot, and, and then he takes it to, a, to the fairs, and he does all his own cooking and warming and whatever it is in his own uh, ovens, he doesn't kosher an oven in the private place. He doesn't ever do it. That's the only one, he's the only one I know that does that like regularly, but there probably are others. I think, it was, I think there was another person who, who uh, yeah, there was another person that I was referring to that had a fair in a place that I didn't consider to be acceptable, and they were doing the same thing. They brought in their own ovens and that they didn't use anything from the kitchen, which I thought was amazing. They, and you know what they did? I'll tell you, this is interesting, because you would never do this, but it's good to hear this after Pesach. They served everything on plastic and throw it away. There was no dishes. There was no silverware. Everything was plastic. I'm, I think it was a chasana, as I recall. I believe it was a chasana. It could be a mitzvah, but I think it was a chasana. Whatever it was, they didn't use any actual utensils that had to be kosher. You could just take them out of the box, put them out, throw them away, and that was it. So there really was zero exposure to the, the facility. But you had to know that, because otherwise... You, you think the place is good, and the place is not good. So this is, a, this is confusing to everybody. I know it. But you have to be a little savvy, and you have to ask one or two questions, and that, you'd find out these answers right away. Uh, we'll go back a second. Now, we're, we're going to a facility 
we had this discussion a few weeks ago. I gave you the story that this gentleman wrote, which is in my magazine, uh, about his daughter's wedding, and the, the, the place said that, that they had three levels. They had non-kosher, kosher, and glot kosher. And he quickly, and he said, in his research, he found out that the kosher is not kosher. And that the glot kosher was not up to the standard of what he needed. And uh, he had to bring in additional mashkiach to work with them. And he had to upgrade everything they were doing. So when this, when this fair uh, took place, and the Rosh Hashiv is eating there, when this affair took place, it was on a high standard. But it wasn't what you would get when you walk in the door and you order the glot kosher. It's, you would not get this. And that's misleading to a lot of people. But that's unfortunately what you have to do. The time that it's really correct to do that was if you have a little concern about one of the accepted kosher halls that everybody's using, and you decide to put a mashkiach in addition to on your pays out of the $150, $200, or $250, or $300, or whatever it costs now, you, you pay a little bit more, and somebody stands there for a couple of hours, or they see the production of the food, and they stand a few hours during the simcha, that's additional mashkiach that you have lifted up the standard. Do you need to? Maybe not, because everybody else in the world that I know is going to there without that. So sometimes it's, it's over the top. Sometimes it's something that would be, that, that, that lends something to the, to the kashras of the simcha. Uh, I've, I've met some of these people who do this, this uh, additional mashkiach work, and they, they definitely always tell, every time I see them, they tell me what, things that they did tonight, which wouldn't have been done if they weren't there. And it's, they never waste their time. They're always, they're always coming up with something. So, yes, there is some value. Whether you need it or you don't need it, if it's over the top, that's something to decide. But that's in a normal hall. But if you go to one of these halls where they do treif and kosher, and that the kosher is ay ay ay, and the uh, and 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 the and the glot kosher is barely whatever, then that's what people think you you can get in that establishment. They think you did it. Now, they look at you. They think you're very religious, so they think that you know that this glot kosher caterer is really a, gl- a good guy. In this, in the case where my friend wrote the article, <laughs> it was that the kosher and the glot kosher was the same caterer. And the treif was also the same caterer. He owned all three. He used different names, different contact ple- places, in order to give you a feeling that he had three caterers. He was, he was the same person. And yes, for the kosher, he had a real mashkia. He had a real person watching from beginning to end. Yes, he did have that. The standards were not the standards of the yeshiva world, but it was uh, on a certain standard that existed. But the rest of it was all treif. Uh, the so-called kosher was probably something, you know, uh, where they tried, but they didn't necessarily have any mashkiach. Okay, so that's a little bit of an idea of, of what it meant to, uh, uh, to, to, to you know, to the, the, the venue that you choose, what it reflects on you. Now, whether they think good of you or bad of you, is not, I probably don't care, but really the issue is whether they're going to be misled by themselves next time. Well, they'll go straight over there without getting additional mashkiach. The classic story, I don't even want to tell you the details. I really don't want to mention the details at all because I think it's already in the ghetto of Lashon Hara. Um, probably was always in the ghetto of Lashon Hara. 
but it was a, there was a situation. I'll mention that. I'll mention what happened. I won't give you any indication of where it was. If you remember it, you remember it. You have to be older to remember it because it's back from the uh, I think the eighties. I think it's from the nineteen eighties. Uh, it is a true story. Tragic when it occurred. Uh, it was lost in the small words someplace. Um, you're not going to find it so easily. I did write about it. Uh, don't remember what year, and I wasn't going to research it because it doesn't. I don't want to give you details. In any event, somebody made a a program, and it was in a yacht, and the yacht, uh, the the owner of the yacht, uh, it's a trafe yacht, and they serve food there. And it's all trafe, but the owner of the yacht. Uh, let's see. It's, it's you know the yacht is uh, it's like a catering thing, so so the the owner of the yacht also owns a kosher catering facility, and he, maybe he owns other than not kosher. But in any event, he owns this kosher and he owns that not kosher. So the yacht itself is not kosher. All the foods there are the strife, but the that he does have a kosher facility which is kosher certified, and what happened is the somebody arranged that. All the food for this, for this uh, sailing of this yacht, this cruise, would be with the Glatt Kosher Caterer. So everything was 100%. The only problem is, a few months later, somebody else rented that yacht, went down there, booked the, the event, set up the event, and several hundred Balichuva and leaders rabbis and leaders of this group, several hundred went aboard this yacht. And during the time they ate the food, nobody said boo. But at the end, they served something for dessert, which really tasted buttery, with real butter. It tasted like butter. So somebody wanted to go in the back and get the recipe. They thought this was outstanding. The dessert. Dessert, you understand? And they ate everything already. And they, then they walked in to the kitchen and looked for the mashkiach. And they asked for the mashkiach. They said, we don't know this person here. Well, this is a kosher affair, isn't it? And they said, no. It was 100% treif. Because when they booked the affair, they went to the office, they thought the yacht was a kosher place, because this other affair was held before, and they booked the entire the, the yacht, and hundreds of people ate treif straight through to the dessert without having an inkling that, that there was anything wrong. Nobody checked up. No leaders of the program checked up on it. Nobody was careful in the beginning when they booked the affair. Nobody asked any questions or made any statements. There was no complaint that they were f- misled. The problem was they had been on the, some of these people had been on the previous run of the yacht when it was glat kosher and made the assumption that this is a glat kosher venue. And it was treif. It was a shocking story. I don't want to get any more details. If you knew about it, fine. You didn't know about it, so now you do know. Yes, things like that really do happen in the real world. So it does matter when you choose a venue. Now, 
The question comes up, but I'm not going to go into it today because we've done it before and I don't want to get lost in this topic at all tonight. How do I conduct myself in these different places? So, in a nutshell, if the place has a modicum of kashras that's a standard that you know, many people would accept, whether you accept it or not. I personally, although not everybody agrees with me, I personally think that you can go in there and you can sit there and, and you don't eat because you don't want to eat. But you can be there and sit there. If it was treif, the affair, you shouldn't sit down. If it was a bad hashkocha that you hold is really no good, like some of the cases, we just, the case we're just talking about, the so-called kosher caterer, which is really the owner was really the really not kosher, and, and, he, and he has no hashkacha, and it's like a sort of a fake. So that kind of thing, you're participating in that, then you're misleading people. Well, somebody who's not living anymore, he passed away many years ago. The young man he passed away very young. He was hashkacha. lived in Flatbush, and he told me, I go to an affair, I leave right after the uh, the the, uh, the ceremony, right after the chuppah, unless I feel comfortable staying for the meal. If I don't feel comfortable staying for the meal, I got to get out of there right away, because people say I saw him; he was there. So yeah, I'm there. I'm there for the chuppah, but I don't I don't stay a minute afterwards. That's what he used to tell me. So run out of the building. I'm not such a big tzaddik. I probably go out a little later. My rebbe taught us that, that as long as you don't sit down. You know, you're not misleading anybody. Because people come and mill, mill, mill around and they talk a little bit. It's not the, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to sit down or people think you're sitting down, then they think you eat there. And if they think you eat there, then they know. Like uh, the Hashkacha, the, what's the Alamin? What's Alamin, Hashkacha? Alamin Nesten. Everybody, everybody eats there. Or I saw somebody go in with a yarmulke. This was, I remember this was in my youth. That this, everybody sort of talked that way. They, they didn't know how to get sure in their mind that the place was kosher, and they used to, to look for yarmulkes. Or they'd see somebody, and they said, uh, and or they see people walking in, a group of people walking in, and they figure, oh, they're from people, it must be okay. That is the misleading point, and we have to worry about that. But when you make the affair, that's the most dangerous part. It would be nice if you could tell people you have another mashkiach and everything like that, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not really going to happen at affairs that they say it. It could be, you could write something on a card and put it on the table, but I think, I don't think, I, I, in my whole life I never saw such a thing, that we have an additional mashkiach. I don't think I've seen that. Um, you, sometimes you see, yeah, so you'll see the, uh, sometimes a card, the, this affair is certified, but so it's okay, fine. But, but then an additional mashkiach on top of the so-called uh, house caterer, I never saw such a, you know, we have additional mishkiach tonight. Never saw that. Okay. Now, so this leads us to um, discuss a few of the other things that came up recently. Nothing to do with Pesach, nothing to do with this. I'm very disturbed. I can tell you uh, specifically why I'm disturbed. There's uh he, I read an article. The article says that there's a uh, matzah bakery in the Netherlands. And this matzah bakery, bakery is the only matzah bakery in the Netherlands. 
It's 50 years old. The original owners, um, the original owners started it in the 1930s. And at that time, thousands of Jews went to, from Nazi Germany to, to uh, the Netherlands, and that's when this bakery was started, 1930s. And it was uh, owned by Jewish people. It's called Hollandia, H-O-L-L-A-N-D-I-A, Hollandia. Some time ago, in, 19, in, in 1960, uh, I'm sorry, in 19, um, let me see where it was sold. Oh, in 2004, the, the factory was sold, the Smatsa Bakery was sold to Goyim. And this, there was a tradition that this place had that they used to give away matzahs every year. Thousands and thousands of matzahs they'd give away every year. They used to give it to the schools. I don't understand it too well. I didn't study it yet, but it sounds like it was given to any school, secular schools, Goyim, Yidden, doesn't make a difference to them. But they were giving it away, starting from 1962, every year they would give away thousands and thousands of matzahs. This year, they gave away to 35,000 school children in the Netherlands. They gave away two matzahs each. Two matzahs to every child in the school system, 35,000. I don't know how, exactly how you get that number, what, you know, what it includes. It doesn't include, doesn't say over here. But the point is, they gave it out. They're giving it out free. Now, that would be... Interesting, but here's the line that's important. Most of the matzahs made by Hollandia are not certified as kosher. Forget about for Pesach. They're not certified as kosher. In other words, it's a bakery. It does other stuff. But the factory also makes kosher certified matzahs for Pesach and even makes shmura matzah. But that is for the Yidden. But for the, for the general mass, which includes Jews who go into public school, they're given two matzahs per child for are not kosher for Passover. And these are given out by Goyim, baked by Goyim, without any hashkocha, without anything at all, without any effort to make it kosher for Pesach. So this is what's happening in the world today to obscure our understanding of what kosher is. And I, now I'm going to share with you something that really hurts me very, very much. And you have to know these things just to understand what the world is going on, how, what's, what's happening in the world. I don't know the details. I hope to find it out because I know people who live there. In Wisconsin, this is from April 2, which is Yomtev, when it came from uh, the Wisconsin Jewish Chronicle. I don't know how they're printing on April 2. Uh, 2 was uh, before, but it was Friday. Okay, maybe the Cholamoy that they produce. Okay, so this was put up April 2. Uh, that there's a, a woman by the name of Amy Ferrante Goldwitzer. She's not Jewish. Amy Ferrante Goldwitzer. She has been doing kosher food with Hashkocha for many years now. And she was using the Harry and Rose Samson Family Jewish Community Center to prefer, pre pre prepare foods 
They were under the hashgacha uh, of the kosher supervisors of Wisconsin, which is called the Wisconsin K, and uh, that's a responsible organization. Rabbi Freilich, Rabbi Torim, Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Levine, very uh, respected kosher organization, and they were certifying, uh, certifying the JCC, and she was doing production over there, and it was going to pretty much all the Jewish community. Um, but what happened is, and she was preparing food for Gan Ami Early Childhood ed- Education School Lunch Program, and uh, men's club lunch boxes and other things, and from the JCC where she was working, she got certified kosher p- food prepared and served it at many locations across the town. But at the same time, Amy Ferranti Goldwitzer also owns Ferranti's Restaurant and Signature Catering, which is not kosher. So she decided to retire from this job, trying too difficult, all the catering she was doing for the JCC. And now she says the following, that her restaurant, which is not kosher, not kosher certified, will continue to serve kosher-style foods. Okay, the woman who had all kosher production for the community, anywhere you went, every inch, she was the chef. The, you know, she was the cook. She was the one preparing the food, her company or business or herself, for the Jews throughout Wisconsin that was under hashkocha of the, the Wisconsin K. And now she's going to do kosher style from her own restaurant. But this next line, which I hope is not true, but it was in the Wisconsin Jewish Chronicle. As I said, I hope it's not true, but this is the line. But it will continue to serve kosher style foods. The Mequon Kitchen, Mequon is a city there. Um, Mequon Kitchen has been the source for hundreds of pandemic era Passover meals for people ordering through their Milwaukee area reform synagogues, which means she's been preparing kosher style meals. No hashkacha for the people from the Reform synagogues. And they sign up to eat her food, which is prepared in a non-kosher setting. And it is, a, it is only what she calls kosher style, whatever that means. It's all kosher style, not a certified kosher to orthodox rabbinical standards. And the Reform buy it. So this is, it, it blows my mind, and it confuses the people in that community, where they had been so tied to this woman's work. Of course, something will take place. I mean, the JCC is not going to just roll over and play dead. They're not going to go out of business, and they're going to service the community. But they had no comment. Mark Shapiro said that he's looking forward to sharing information about the next food steps for food service there in the months ahead. In other words... He has no comment now, and they, they, they have to deal with the problem. So obviously, they'll get somebody else. 
whether it will be the same, it will be better or worse, it doesn't make a difference. So they're going to do something. They're not going to stop uh, doing kosher food for the people who need it. But the confusion that happens, here's the woman who did the food for everybody, and she was under Hashkacha, and here she's been getting support for, by, from the Reform Synagogue for her work as kosher style, whatever that means, right? And no Hashkacha, it's just called kosher style. No claim to be kosher, and that is what it's, it says. The, she ordered, they ordered Pesach through the Reform Synagogues from this Italian, uh, ca- Italian Catholic girl. That's, he should call herself Italian Catholic girl. So that is, that, that's a standard that unfortunately exists here in America. And what can I tell you? It's, it's mamish frightening when we think about the confusion that goes on in people's heads about kosher style, about uh, you know, accepting somebody's personal claim, a, non, a Catholic, that this is okay for you. Amazing. Anyway, that's a little bit of a look at what's happening in that particular area. Unfortunately, it's a sad time in the Kashrus world because we have to pay last respects to uh, Rabbi Zechariah Center, who passed away on the last day of Pesach. Rabbi Zechariah Center, Harvey Center, was the head of the, uh, the Kafkei Kashrus organization. K kosher certification, and um, he had been a musmach from Yeshiva University, and a close Talmud to Rabbi Yosef Ber Salvechik. He was a rov in North Bergen and in Tinek, and Rav Aaron Salvechik was his rebbe. And I want to just tell you one story that I had uh, in, in schmoozing with Rabbi Eid Center. We often talked, and in particular. There was, there was one story that sticks out in my mind. Actually, two things maybe, but one particular story that stuck out of my mind, and that was the following. He gave Hashgacha to a certain product. It was produced in Israel by a company that is gigantic. And that company went ahead and produced some products using his Hashgacha in another country. Again, we're talking about Israel is the main company. But they did, they did runs in another country without his permission, put his, their, his symbol, the Kaf K, on the product. When he found out, he removed his Hashkacha. In less than two weeks, another Hashkacha picked it up. And I called the, that, the head of that Hashkacha, the one that picked it up. I said, I don't understand. How can you certify and announce your certification when the product that you're certifying has not reached the shores yet. You're certifying the mislabeled products of, this, of the Cuff K because you said it's, everything is fine. And in, in reality, the, you, your product with your symbol has never showed up here in, the, in America because this, uh, this is, you know, America, you're giving, you're giving a shkocha from here and it's for us and we never got the product yet. So he didn't say anything. I spoke to Rabbi Center about it, and he told me, he told me, Rabbi Yosef, 
I lost $250,000 on that hashgacha, meaning that i not continuing that hashgacha. I don't know how we get, I don't know how that number came up. I don't know how the number came up, $250,000. But that was the number that he used. I don't think it's how much he makes a year, maybe it is. I don't know. But whatever it was, that was the number that he used, $250,000. He said, but I asked Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, this is what a Rebbe means, I asked Rav Aaron Soloveitchik what I should do, and he said, you shouldn't continue it. So I dropped it. $250,000. How have you counted? $250,000. It didn't matter. His Rebbe said, no, he dropped it. He asked the Rebbe, the Rebbe said no, and he dropped it. That, that was a little look at Rebbe Zechariah's center. A very straight man. I'll tell you quickly <laughs> the other thing that I had, remember from the old days, this is old days already, when Rabbi Zim and was Nifter over 20 years ago, so we're talking old days. Rabbi Aaron Salvechi passed away before that, and at a certain point, he, the Rabbi Center needed another person to ask Shilasov to, to make the halachic decisions for the Kafka. And it, it, now they have a whole VAD. For the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, they had a VAD, different people on the VAD. Rabbi Gissinger was in the VAD, he's not here anymore. Other people were in the VAD. I don't know if they were all, who was there at the present time, but there were at least three rabbis in, in, in the VAD. But this was before that, and it was one rabbi. So he asked, he called me up, Rabbi Center. I want to use your Rebbe, Avashah Zimman. So I told him it wouldn't work because Rabbi Zimman Zatzal would never make these kinds of decisions. And you wouldn't be able to live with it. He'd be too strict. He wouldn't be able to, he, he would not be, you would not be able to work with him. And he thought it's not, it's not going to be something that, that, that will work out for you. So he went with whoever he went with at that particular time. But the man was extremely sincere, honest, and uh, what can I tell you, he built a big organization, and it's, it's partly because of who he was. He was a special Jew, and the secret that everybody knows is that he has supported Torah education for years and years and years. The, yes, there's money flowing through Kav K. But there's a yeshiva. The, originally, the yeshiva was a yeshiva that I taught in, which was uh, Rogerson Yeshiva High School in Jersey City. Later on, when that closed, they opened yeshivas in North Bergen. And that yeshiva is being run very much by the support of the center family. So that is a little bit of an idea of the man... Hopefully we'll be able to put a nice piece together for Kashva's magazine because whatever I do, he deserved more. He was a, a very special Jew, very sincere, and uh, he tells some beautiful stories about it when he went to a Rebbe, and, he, and again, about the, asking questions about uh, what he should do, about this and all that, and uh, always accepting 100% whatever the rabbi said, even if it would be a difficult thing for his hashkocha, for himself, financially, etc. We have a couple of minutes left, so I want to share with you uh, something that happened right before Pesach. I was asked to speak to a group of high school boys here in Lakewood, 
And uh, I told them, I said, you know, I don't have time to prepare. It's right before Pesach. It was, it was supposed to be two days later. I mean, they, asked, they called me on Tuesday. I should speak on Thursday. I said, there's no time to prepare anything. Well, they can do it Cholomoyed. I said, Cholomoyed, that's a different cheshman. I can't do it then. But I'll do Thursday, but it won't be a shear. It'll just be a few points about the Seder, about Pesach, about the Kashrus. So I prepared myself, and I went to speak to these boys. And basically, I'll tell you what I said, in a nutshell. And I'm not going to tell you the details, because there were plenty of details. But I tried to give them a little bit of uh, musr together with the halachos of the Seder. And, and basically we went through what's required for a seba, what's required for the matzah, what's required for the moror, including if you have to check the moror and, and, and how many uh, with insects problems, etc. But I gave them a different take. I gave them a take on them as young B'nai Torah, high school boys, I said, you're B'nai Torah, and you're learning, that they were actually learning. There was, there was a morning of learning, and I was a little thing at the end. So that you were learning this morning. You know, everybody, it's, it's right before Pesach, and you're learning. I said, that's beautiful. I said, but there's, uh, th- there's something else that uh, w- would be appropriate too. And I said... It's no question that a little schmoozing you do. In addition to learning, a little schmoozing you're doing. So maybe you could help out in the house. I talked a little bit about the role of the young man, because they always talk about the, the girl helping out, etc. I was trying to give an understanding of the role of the young man. And I said, some of these halachas that we're learning about, whether it's the bedikas toiloyim, or it's the kfulos and the matzah, if you know those things, and you should offer to help your father and your, and your mother in the house with these things that are, these are halachic preparations that you know. And if you don't know, so then you have to learn it. So I went a little bit explaining some of these uh, halachas to them, gave them an understanding. And I said, if you don't know about kfulos, which is matzah that's doubled over, that maybe isn't fully baked, so, uh, that, and you have to break it off, so I, t- t- I told them, then go to somebody who will see it. You'll see it from, and maybe you'll go to, uh, maybe your father knows, and fine. If not, learn it, you know. And so I had one boy, uh, my grandson. <laughs> he came over. It was, hell, it, was, it was with my Rabbi before Shabbos, which is the day I checked the matzahs. He said, can I see it? Because I wanted about the kfulos. So I showed it to him. But fortunately, unfortunate for the matzahs, I had to found a few of them. We had to break it off, and I showed him exactly how to how to spot it and what to do with it, and it was it was very helpful to him. What was very interesting to me is that on Yom Tov I was in that shul, and the somebody sitting right behind me came over to me, and he said, Rabbi Wickler, I'm washing my hands the way you showed you showed it that day. I don't know if he was there or he heard it over from his son. I don't really remember if, if that man was there or he heard it over from his son or from somebody else, but he's been changing. He changed the way he washes his hands because I explained to him, well, my Rebbe explained how to wash your hands. And he, my Rebbe had learned from a Bolchan Wasserman. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, he made sure that it's done properly. So he's, he, he, he was impressed by that. But, but my point to the boys was to be helpful. And I told them one more thing. I said, 
don't make everybody crazy. Maybe you know a halacha, a chumrah, the right way to do it. But you've got to be very careful how you give it over. See, one of the things, is, this is, the, this is the, um, the, the delicate area that when they teach in yeshivas, sometimes the boys come back a little cocky. They think we know more than our fathers. Maybe they do. But the question is, how do they deal with the father? It says clearly in halacha, kibbut aveim, that you have to be, say, efsha kenzine maybe, uh, and show your father what it says in the Shulchan Aruch and say, can we learn this together? Or I think the Mishnah Brewer says this way. You have to do it in a, a manner of derech to say, this is the halacha, or this is what I learned from Rabbi Wickler, or this is a... No, that's not how you do it. You have to do it in a way that's kavod to the parents. Kibbut aveim is a bigger mitzvah than whatever you're trying to accomplish. So that's what I gave over to them, and hopefully that worked. So I was very scared. I thought at the end they were going to throw rocks at me or something like that, <laughs> because I was uh, because I was I was bringing every halacha that I brought, everything I said. I always tied into their responsibility vis-a-vis the house, helping out and checking this one and setting it up, or helping me set up the chairs for the for the haseba. I, I went in each thing I taught. I tried to teach them how to be. A, a child had to be a proper, uh, you know, kibbut aim, and I stuck it in there. So I was, re- in the end, I was a little worried that maybe it, would, it was too, <laughs> too strong what I was giving over. But I only got one question: When's the next year? <laughs> so, so I must have done it right. And I think it's very, very important that that children should learn that derech eretz for their parents who are working so hard for the yomtov, and. Whether they know this halacha this way, maybe they heard it from a different rabbi a different way. Maybe they forgot the halacha, maybe they never learned it. Okay. So, you want to bring it in? Bring it in. But bring it in, but derech eretz. That was the, the yesod over there. So I think the time is basically up. And if anybody has any kashrus questions, kashrus concerns, you can contact us at uh, 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363 or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com Kashrus at AOL.com and uh, let us know if uh, you have found something interesting about Pesach uh, that, I, that you want to share with us or some suggestions for topics that we should discuss, any reactions uh, any Kashrus questions or you'd like to get the subscription to the Kashrus magazine, uh, you want to get a sample copy, or you want to find uh, about our Kashrus monthly, we send out a monthly newsletter, and etc., etc. So until next week, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. <laughs>